Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is not part three of The Homecoming, as you were likely expecting. It is, however, a very special audiobook edition of the podcast entitled The Life and Times of Steve Odo. So how did we end up here? Uh, You may recall that a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I said that I had every intention of our Homecoming miniseries running as originally scheduled. Unfortunately, our real-world situation, the crisis that we're currently facing, has continued to evolve, and at this point, I am simply not able to continue the homecoming as originally planned. I certainly have every intention of finishing this story uh, as soon as I'm able to, but for the time being, effectively, the homecoming is on pause uh, as of part two, which released uh, a couple of weeks ago, and as soon as we're able to finish that story, whether it's later in 2020 or in 2021, we will. Uh, But for the time being, The Homecoming is on pause. Obviously, there are far worse things happening out there right now than this. Uh, That being said, it's definitely a bummer. And, you know, it's it's really been a point of pride with me over the years that when I say we're going to do a certain run of episodes on certain dates, that, that all of those hit as announced and as planned. And even if it's not something that you, the listener, are aware of, consciously aware of, uh, it's something that's important to me. I feel like that's part of that trust between host and audience. Uh, Unfortunately, this is just beyond my control at this point. That's really all I can say right now. Uh, But again, I do have every intention of finishing this story when we can. And uh, on on the bright side, you will not be without podcasts over the coming weeks. Uh, You may also recall that I mentioned I had recorded a couple of episodes that were going to be part of The Homecoming. I recorded them with Fat Moose Comics owner Sean Hendricks in Whippany, New Jersey. Uh, One of the episodes is a commentary track. Another episode is sort of an epilogue to My Comic Shop Country, and uh, it focuses on how Sean became owner of Fat Moose. In any event, those two episodes were going to be part of The Homecoming, and they would have fit in uh, in the sense that uh, my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, has also had a homecoming, i.e. it's available in your homes now. But I thought that in light of the fact that our main homecoming storyline won't be moving forward right now, that it made more sense to take those other episodes and sort of spin them out into their own thing. So uh, beginning on April 22nd, so two weeks from now, we're going to kick off a trilogy of what I'm calling the My Comic Shop Country Companion Specials. So three special episodes. First up is going to be the audio commentary track to the My Comic Shop Country documentary. Uh, Again, that's with Sean Hendricks of Fat Moose Comics. So that'll drop on April 22nd. That was originally going to be out today, but now it's going to kick off this trilogy of specials. The second special is going to drop on May 6th, and it's going to be a Q&A where I'm going to answer all of your questions. I put the call out on social media a little while ago for questions about the documentary. Uh, people had some really great questions. I'm going to be answering those. I'm going to continue to uh, take and solicit questions. If you have any questions related to my comic shop country, my comic shop history, alternate realities, anything really, we got to fill about an hour, so I'll, I'll answer anything. Uh, feel free to reach out with your questions. Uh, You can always get in touch with me across social media, or if you want to email me directly, it's mail at flatsquirrelproductions.com. That's mail, M-A-I-L, not M-A-L-E. So uh, I'm happy to take any questions that you have, and that will form the basis of that May 6th episode. And then the final part of our trilogy of My Comic Shop Country specials uh, will be that epilogue episode on May 20th. So in that episode... 
and kind of take you beyond the the filming period of My Comic Shop Country and specifically focus on Fat Moose Comics and this major change, changing of the guard that occurred uh, a little while after filming. Uh, and we'll also offer some updates on some of the other shops that were in the movie. So uh, again, you won't be without podcasts and you'll basically have more or less the same number of episodes on the same dates as originally planned, uh, just kind of uh, rebranded a little bit. So Again, trilogy of My Comic Shop Country companion specials, April 22nd, May 6th, May 20th. Uh, they're really great. Uh, I haven't recorded the Q&A yet, but I have recorded the other two, and I really think you'll enjoy them. Uh, so keep an ear out for those. And of course, I've been mentioning My Comic Shop Country. That documentary film, it is out. It is out now. You can rent or buy it on iTunes or on Amazon. It's been out for a couple of weeks, and... From the bottom of my heart, I, I can't thank you all enough for the the warm, very, very warm response that you have shown this movie. Uh, I've, honestly, all of the Facebook uh, messages and comments, the tweets, uh, the Instagram comments, the, the emails, the reviews that people have left on, on iTunes and Amazon, it means the world to me. Uh, as you all know, this project was years in the making. It was a labor of love. A lot of it was so solitary, especially when I was editing. I mean, it was countless man hours in front of that computer screen, making so many choices, hoping that they worked and that they were the right choices. And so to hear the feedback, to hear that it has resonated with you, uh, honestly, I, I'm, I'm blown away. So I really thank everyone who has already bought or rented the movie. Uh, if you haven't, you know, don't be a flat squirrel. Uh, if you're a fan of the show... I really, really think you'll enjoy the documentary. Uh, so again, thank you to everyone who who already has. And uh, you may have noticed we were on Newsarama. Uh, this was very exciting. Uh, about a week or so ago, uh, we were one of the, the featured stories on the site. And you know, that's I mentioned this uh, on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. But I just want to reiterate. You know, I, I definitely I could never have foreseen that the documentary would come out in the midst of this crisis that we're facing, and in particular the crisis facing comic shops. And obviously, I wish that the movie were out under better circumstances, but I'm honored that the movie can serve the purpose of really shining a light on what goes on at all of these comic shops, why they matter, and why they're important. Uh, so I feel like the movie is it's timelier than ever. Uh, and I mean, I always felt that it was a story worth telling, but even more so now. So I really hope that you'll check it out. And on the note of comic shops, I will reiterate the plea that I made a couple of weeks ago and just say that... If you have the means, if you have the inclination, uh, please consider reaching out to your local comic shop or even beyond your local comic shop. Or if you don't have a local comic shop, any of the stores that you've heard on this podcast or that you've seen in my comic shop country, almost all of them, because I follow them on social media, almost all of them are doing something, whether it's mail order, curbside pickup, Instagram live sales. It's such a mix of things that they're doing uh, in order to get books out. Um, as you're likely aware, no new product no new product is being shipped at the moment. But of course, you know, stores have, you know, their vast libraries of graphic novels and back issues and things like that. So they're doing everything they can to still get product out to you. So again, if you have the ability, please consider reaching out to your store or any of the shops that you've you've seen or heard through my projects. Tell them Desi Westside sent you. It won't really get you anything, but it's still it's still nice. Uh, and I'm sure they'll <laughs> they'll like to know. Uh, so please consider doing that. Uh, I know it would, uh, would be appreciated. Uh, one other little update since, uh, the last time I did an episode is, uh, I 
released a trailer for my all-new podcast series that is going to be starting up in June. It's called My Super Fan History. I could not be more excited about this. I, I'm, I'm launching a Superman podcast. Uh, those of you who have been following the show for a while, you know Superman is my favorite character. I've done a couple of Superman book club episodes along the uh, along the way. Uh, on my Patreon, I did a five-episode Superman event a little while ago. So I've been I've kind of been testing the waters uh, for doing a full-on Superman show, and I'm ready for it. I'm ready. It's going to be um, it's going to be really special. I think it's going to cover Superman across time and media. Uh, so we're going to have deep dives into uh, the, the depictions of Superman across comics and television and movies and animation. Uh, so it officially begins in June, uh, but there's a short trailer out now that just kind of lays out a little bit more about what the show is going to be like. And the podcast feed is already set up, so uh, you can search for it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Uh, so please find the show, subscribe to the show, listen to the trailer, and then keep an ear out for the official series premiere this June. I'm really excited about this. My super fan history. Okay, so we've talked about everything that's coming up, right? So what the heck is this episode that you're, you're about to listen to right now, this audiobook? Um for a while now, I've kind of wanted to do sort of like an outside-the-box episode, something a little experimental, uh, but I didn't quite know what it would be. But as they say, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So, you know, I found myself needing to fill a slot in this schedule here, in this pandemic-plagued podcast cycle, and I came back to a profile that I wrote of former Alternate Realities owner Steve Odo during college. So I attended Fordham University, uh, the, the Bronx campus, and I was a communications and media studies major with a specialization in journalism. And I have to say that across elementary school, high school, college, and law school, far and away, my favorite classes were those journalism classes. I genuinely enjoyed them in a way that I don't think I ever enjoyed any other aspect of my schooling, to be perfectly honest. And in my junior year, uh, this was when I was really able, after completing all of the core requirements, when I was able to like fully dive into my chosen field, I took an intro to journalism class with a professor named Beth Noble. And our final project and the main basis of our grade for the semester was to write a profile of a subject. We had complete you know, freedom to, to choose our subjects. It had to be at least 10 pages I turned in an epic 20-page <laughs> profile of Steve Odo, and it was very well received. I got an A, uh, and the professor had some very lovely things to to write about uh, on you know in, in her comments on the paper. But it, the the profile was sort of, and I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but it was kind of monumental, I think, in my journey towards documentary filmmaking and podcasting for two reasons. The first is that it was the first time that I told the story of Steve Odo and of alternate realities. You know, I'd been working and shopping at the store for a long time, always found Steve and the rest of the crew there very entertaining. They had become the second family, all the stuff that you've heard about on the show. But this was the first time that I, I turned a critical eye toward the store, not, and not in a negative way, but an analytical eye toward the store, and really started to try to put the, the pieces together, not even so much of the store, but of Steve himself, right? This, 
interesting character at the heart of the store with a very love-hate relationship toward this thing that he built and this community of customers. And again, those of you who have seen my comic shop documentary and, and have listened to the podcast, and especially the first season of the podcast, you know what I'm talking about. But so this was the first time that like, I really started to put the pieces together. And I remember the longest interview, naturally, was with Steve himself, but I also interviewed Rich Roney. I interviewed Steve's late father, Steve's son, uh, and a few of the other crew members at Alternate Realities. And I remember the Steve interview in particular going there with my tape recorder. You know, this was before the podcast microphones. This was before the documentary cameras, before all of that. It was just me and a notepad and a, and a tape recorder. And we sat at the table in the center of the store, right across from the register, and spoke for, I, <laughs> I want to say about four hours. It was, it was lengthy. Uh, but it was amazing. And it was the first time that I interviewed anyone. It was the first time that I prepared for an interview. It was the first time that you know, I, I, you know, conducted an interview and, you know, would ask a follow-up question. All of the things that I've done since, you know, as a documentary filmmaker and as a podcaster, this, this was the first time uh, that I even attempted it. Uh, I remember interviewing Steve at the store. I remember interviewing Rich Roney. We went for pizza across the street, and I remember bringing that tape recorder, and, and we sat and had pizza and talked. Uh, I have such fond memories of conducting those interviews and writing that profile. Uh, so it was it was significant in that sense, but there was also another reason why this was so significant. Because my audience wasn't someone who knew Steve or knew alternate realities. This was my professor who was a complete outsider, who knew nothing. I don't think she really you know knew anything about comics either, but certainly knew nothing about our particular store and our community. And you know, so to be able to to write this piece, and make it interesting for an outsider and make it accessible for an outsider and to have it be so well received was so galvanizing. And that, you know, that was kind of the, the beginning. I would, I would sort of say that was like the spark. And then, you know, it would, it would erupt into an inferno by the time I made the documentary uh, during law school. But, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, I had this response to this profile, you know, that I saw like, wow, other people would find this interesting. It's not just the community at AR who laughs at, not laughs at Steve, but laughs with Steve uh, and his antics. It's not that. It's it's beyond that. There's a potential here to reach more people. And I've carried that with me with all of the things that I've done. And it's always been important to me across the documentaries and the podcasts that we make them as accessible as possible, that we provide context, we set things up for the, for the viewer or the listener. Uh, because, you know, it... You might be speaking to someone who who knows nothing about any of this stuff. Um, so that's sort of been a guiding light for me. But it all goes back to this profile. Uh, if you're a real hardcore flat squirrel uh, person, I hate this, a fan sounds weird, uh, but if you're a real hardcore flat squirrel follower, uh, you might recall I posted this profile uh, on an older version of my website years ago. Uh, but it hasn't been on the website in a long time. And recently I thought about, I was like, I want to do something with this profile. Like it's, it's a substantial piece of writing, uh, but the, the length of it alone. <laughs> um, but, and I said, like, I want to do something with this. Uh, and I thought about putting it on my new website now, but, uh, for whatever reason I didn't, I just kind of held off and I'm glad I did because now I have the opportunity to share it with you in a different way in audiobook form. So I know this sounds kind of goofy, but I'm going to read you this 20-page profile. Uh, I don't know how many of you listen to audiobooks. Uh, it's not something that's 
part of my routine. So this is really will be an experiment. Uh, it will definitely be a different episode. I don't know if it'll be one of our best or worst, but I really think it has the potential to be something kind of great. Uh, I think one of the things that's interesting, you know, you've heard from Steve a lot and you've heard about Steve uh, and some of the stories that are in this profile, you you have heard. Uh, this was very much a launching pad for me in terms of, you know, figuring out, you know, things to talk about with Steve when he was on the show and things like that. But there are definitely some new stories. And I think we go a little bit deeper maybe on, on some of the stories that we've just kind of like mentioned in passing over the years. Uh, one disclaimer that I just want to put out there now, this was written in 2008. I have not updated it. I, I toyed with the idea very briefly. I said, well, maybe I'll go go in now and update the whole thing so that it reads as if it's a contemporary piece. But A, I don't have the time. It's, you know, it's really interesting. You know, you hear about all these people complaining about being bored in quarantine. You know, my wife and I have a seven-month-old son. We're both working from home. I've been promoting the movie there's no free time. There's no boredom. Uh, so I didn't really have the time to go back and update it. But I also, I really liked the idea of this profile being sort of this historical artifact. Uh, so I'm glad that it, I'm going to present it to you in its original unedited form. So as you're listening to it, uh, of course, you know, you're going to hear about alternate realities in the present. And as we all know, alternate realities is, is no longer uh, with us. Uh, so please just keep that in mind as you're reading this, that this was written uh, over a decade ago. So I just wanted to put it uh, in that proper context. Before we get into the audiobook, you want to give a couple of shout outs. Uh, first up, Terrificon is a convention in Connecticut at Mohegan Sun. It's going to take place August 14th, 15th, and 16th. Uh, hopefully that's far enough out uh, that we'll be beyond this current madness and the convention will be able to proceed as planned. But I wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, Mitch Halleck, the organizer of the show, uh, very graciously uh, shared all the information about My Comic Shop Country. He shared the posts across social media. Uh, and that was great. I really appreciated that. So I wanted to return the favor. Uh, I've never been to Terrificon, but I know a bunch of the AR crew, a bunch of the guys have gone. Uh, and they had really great things to say about it. Our friends at All Yeah Comics are usually very involved. They're there at the convention. Uh, and I know just from following the social media posts, they get a great lineup, uh, especially of comic book guests. So, uh, you know, if you're able to make it to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut in mid-August for the convention, I really encourage you to check out Terrificon. I also want to give a shout out to the family of film festivals that help sponsor My Comic Shop History. Uh, they are the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, the next session is this August. The Hang On to Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is happening this September. And the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island, New York, which is happening in November. Uh, you can get tickets for these events at brownpapertickets.com. And if you're a filmmaker like me, you can submit your work via Film Freeway. Uh, be sure to also listen to the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast. It is part of the Shared Universe Podcast Network. So we thank those festivals very much for their support. I've mentioned this before, but I've had uh, one of my films play at two of their festivals. Very great, well-run festivals. Uh, they're for short films, so my comic shop country won't be there. But uh, if and when I have a short film again, I will absolutely be submitting to that festival. Uh, we also want to give a shout out to uh, the Hive Comics and Games, an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. The Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. 
Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. Of course, they are not unaffected by what's going on. Uh, we are aware of the situation currently facing comic shops. Uh, I encourage you, if you want to show some support to the Hive Comics, reach out to them, see what sort of um, initiatives they're implementing, whether it's it's mail order or online sales, whatever it might be. Uh, please check them out on social media and see what they're offering. So thank you to all of our sponsors, everyone who helps make my comic shop history possible. And especially you, the listeners, uh, especially now, you know, I did the little mini-sode and I did the intro to the Homecoming Part 2 and I'm doing this intro now and then the audiobook. It's a lot of solo recording, which is <laughs> different. Uh, it's kind of weird not having someone in front of me to bounce off of, but, you know, kind of what's carrying me through this is knowing that you're out there listening to it. Uh, and the more and more I do this, the, the more I'm enjoying it, which, uh, I don't know for, from an ego perspective is probably not a good thing, <laughs> but, uh, really thank you so much for listening. I hope that, you know, again, during this time when we're all looking for things to watch and read and listen to, you know, to whatever, to whatever extent this podcast, these new episodes, the older episodes, if you want to go into the, the back catalog, you know, to whatever extent these things provide some sort of entertainment, distraction, comfort, uh, I, I'm happy that they're able to do that. I thank you very much for listening. And now, without further ado, please enjoy our audiobook entitled The Life and Times of Steve Odo. Life and Times of Steve Odo, Prologue Steve Odo does not run. It was a hot summer night in 1991 when Steve was still practicing law in New York City. As he walked towards the terminal in Grand Central Station that would take him to his home in Chappaqua, Steve could not help but notice as his fellow commuters rushed past him to catch the train before it departed. On this night, as it had happened countless times before, one of two fates befell these individuals. Either they made it onto the train before the doors closed, only to be faced with the equally arduous task of finding a seat in the crowded car, or they arrived just in time to watch the doors close before their perspiring faces. It was a humiliation Steve would not suffer. Instead, Steve treated himself to a cold beverage, walked over to the platform of the next train departing for home, where any seat was his for the taking, and relaxed. Experience taught him that there would always be another train, and for this reason, Steve Odo does not run. 
This rule is but one of a plethora of Odoisms Steve lives by, and espouses to any and all who will listen. These days, Steve's audience is the customers who patronize his comic book store, Alternate Realities. The road that led him from real estate attorney to comic book retailer was a long and hard one littered with accomplishment and disappointment, friendship and heartbreak, and a dream that became a nightmare. I have known Steve for over 10 years, first as a customer and later as his employee. When I asked if he would be open to an interview and profile, his principal concern was that no reader would believe this is a work of nonfiction. However, any trepidation he may have had evaporated when the tape started rolling in the store to which he has devoted the last 15 years of his life. As he nursed a cold beer after a typically long day, Steve spoke at length while surrounded by what most fanboys dream about, a cornucopia of comic books, graphic novels, statues, and toys. But Steve would be the first to tell you that even a dream made real might not bring you what you were looking for all along. Unlike most tales, this one does not end with a happily ever after, but instead with a to be continued. As for its beginning, the seeds of alternate realities and the man who would run it were planted long before they came to fruition. Chapter 1 Stephen K. Odo, who is of Japanese descent, was born on June 17, 1956. An only child, he lived with his parents in Riverdale, New York, until he was seven years old, when the family moved to White Plains. It was there that Steve attended a tougher junior high school. Fortunately, he was prepared. Since I was always a little on the chubby side and tended to fall down and cry, my parents decided I had to toughen up, Steve said. So I started taking judo lessons to defend myself. I had to use it once or twice. Tough school. They'd beat you for a quarter. Despite what physical prowess Steve may have amassed through martial arts, it did not help him in gym class. I was never picked last because I did have coordination, Steve said, but added that he was usually chosen towards the end, which is always sort of a traumatic thing. I never liked team sports. I never understood the rules of games, and it was just taken for granted that you knew how to play. One such assumption almost led to a trip to the emergency room. During a baseball game in elementary school, Steve recalled the rules of kickball, where one player may get another one out by hitting that player with the ball. I remember a guy rounding third, and I got the ball, and it was a hard ball, and I tried to bean him, Steve recounted. No one understood where the heck I was throwing that ball because I missed him. Still, any physical mishaps paled in comparison to one particular event. My most traumatic childhood experience was when I was in third grade, Steve said, recalling a class field trip to a colonial house in Albany, where an older man resembling former President Dwight D. Eisenhower was giving a tour. Steve described himself as a quiet, studious teacher's pet who never did anything wrong in school. Of course, no one told Mr. Eisenhower. Old guy's talking, and a kid next to me on the second floor of this place taps me on the shoulder, my left shoulder, and says, What time is it? Steve elaborated. I showed him my watch, and then the old Eisenhower guy says, Hey, son, do you want to give this talk? The crowd parts like the Red Sea, and he's pointing right at me. According to Steve, the incident left a scar that never healed. I always remembered that, and I always thought I'd one day find this old man and dance on his grave, Steve said. Steve Odo always holds a grudge and never forgets another one of the Odoisms. Years later, when Steve attended law school in Albany, 
he spent his weekends driving around looking for this house, but never found it. The longevity of Steve's wrath has not escaped the notice of those closest to him. If you cut him off on the road, oh God, he'll carry that in the gunny sack for 15 years, remarked Rich Roney, one of Steve's oldest friends. He's got a deep memory for people who hurt him. At the same time, Rich continued, if you've got an enemy, you want him on your side. For Steve, friendship with Rich hinged on one all-important question during their first meeting. In 1971, Rich moved with his family from Illinois to New York during the summer before 10th grade. Rich said that he was nervous about attending a new school, especially one so close to New York City, as he had grown up in a very small, rural town just outside of Chicago. I go into White Plains High School, very first class of the day, and I'm sitting next to Steve in biology, Rich recalled. I introduce myself, and his first words to me are, You don't smoke, do you? Well, apparently I answered correctly. I said, No, I don't. And then he introduced himself. Apparently, Steve's strong anti-smoking stance was consistent with his personality. Steve is emphatically strong with his views and opinions, Rich said. There is no gray area. Things are very black or very white. Still, such intensity has not dampened their friendship. I'm honored to have Steve as a friend. If I were ever in trouble, I'd know he'd do whatever he could to help me. Steve and Rich have been friends now for over 35 years. Although he lives in New Jersey, Rich regularly makes the hour and a half drive to alternate realities in Scarsdale. People come and go, Steve said. Rich Roney stays forever. Chapter 2 You know, new kid, I could bounce you off the wall. With those words, an 18-year-old Steve stunned his fellow party-goers into silence and had Rich planning an exit strategy. It was 1975, and Steve and Rich, then college freshmen at Yale and Fordham respectively, were attending a party during their Easter vacation. Steve had previously asked out the party's hostess on a date, only to be disappointed when she asked if she could bring her boyfriend with her. To this day, Steve and Rich refer to this man, whose real name has been lost to history, as New Kid. Steve had had about four beers, and they kind of went to his head, Rich related with a grin. He decided to use the stairs of her house as a sliding board and slid down the stairs. He was kind of tense and stressed out because he was so infatuated with her. Steve finally released his pent-up aggression in the form of the aforementioned threat of wall bouncing. Over the years, Rich would repeatedly witness the effect that women have on Steve. In the best meaning of the word, he is a romantic, Rich said. When he falls in love with a girl, it is so absolute. On Halloween and Valentine's Day, Steve used to bestow gifts upon the 12 girls he considered most deserving, whom he referred to as Halloween Queens and Valentine Vixens. In 1978, once again around Easter, Rich's trip to Yale hit a major roadblock in the form of Steve's heartbreak. After being rejected by a girl he had counted on seeing, Steve decided he was so full of adrenaline and rage that he could bench press 400 pounds, Rich remembered. Now, Steve doesn't work out, but he felt he was so worked up that he could just throw these weights around like they were nothing. When I heard he was going to do this, I realized he could kill himself, so I got him out of the weight room. He was completely demoralized. Even now, on the evening of our interview, Steve was preoccupied with thoughts of his most recent object of affection. As Rich put it, if a girl smiles at him, he's making plans. Of course, in both love and life, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, as Steve's path can attest. 
for this lawyer turned local businessman, the debate over whether he ended up where he needed to be or made a wrong turn along the way still rages. Chapter 3 The name Alternate Realities turned out to be a rather appropriate one, as it represents the different paths Steve could have taken. The idea of the parallel universe is a popular one in the world of comic books, as writers and artists, and, more importantly, readers, thrill at exploring what could be. In one alternate reality, Steve is a world-renowned violinist, while another sees him as an FBI agent, and in yet another, he is a high-powered litigator. Nothing ever happens for one reason, Steve said. It's always a combination of things. It was therefore only through a confluence of events that he arrived at his particular destination. Following high school, Steve considered attending a music school, as he had played the violin since elementary school and was the concert master of his high school orchestra. I had wanted to. My father said no, Steve revealed. My father said I'll end up playing in Hungarian restaurants the rest of my life. Harry Odo, now 80 years old, remembers this well. As a musician, Steve's not a prodigy, you see. That's the problem, Harry said. He would maybe wind up in a band. He loved it, granted. He played classical music all the time. Instead, Harry pushed Steve to go to Yale, so much so that Harry filled out and mailed the applications for his son. However, Harry was motivated not by a need to control, but instead by a desire to provide his son with a better life than he had known. Although he was born in America, Harry spent his teenage years in Japan because his family wanted him to learn the Japanese language and culture. When World War II erupted, he served in the Japanese army and would have been a kamikaze pilot if not for his colorblindness. Ultimately, the army saved his life. If he had not been a soldier, Harry would have been in Hiroshima when the atom bomb dropped. Steve frequently marvels at how so many things needed to come together for him to be here now. After Yale, where he studied political science, Steve attended Albany Law School, again at the behest of his father. In our family, there was nobody in the law business, Harry explained, and I wanted to create a lawyer to fill that void. For his part, Steve was not entirely opposed to the idea. In fact, he briefly entertained the notion of joining the FBI, which required a law degree back then. When I knew Steve in the early 1970s, he was incredibly a law-and-order person, Rich recalled. He was the hanging judge. He takes the laws very seriously. Alas, just as colorblindness saved his father from a rather unfitting end, so too did poor eyesight dash Steve's dream of joining law enforcement. But he would still get that law degree. Chapter 4 Law school was a living hell, Steve declared. The law of diminishing returns basically says that, no matter how much time, money, blood, sweat, and tears you put into a project, if it's a losing venture, get out, which is probably what I should have done. Law school's not for everybody, just like practicing law's not for everybody. It was during law school that Steve met his future wife, Darla, whom he married in 1982. They divorced nine years later. Their son, Evan, is currently a senior at Fox Lane High School in Bedford, New York, and he faced similar pressure recently from both his father and grandfather to apply to Yale. He did not. For Steve, guiding his son through the college application process has been a lesson in frustration, as Evan received rejection letters from Wesleyan and Cornell. I want to say, who dares reject the son of Steve Odo? Steve proclaimed, once again referring to himself in the third person. If I had that Dr. Doom iron fist, Hartford, Connecticut would be pounded down to nothing now. Following law school, Steve did not actually join a law firm until 1989. After graduating, he spent a year in Japan at the International Christian University, where he studied Japanese and martial arts. 
Upon returning to America, he worked as a consultant for a moving and storage company in Manhattan until he received a call from a contact at a law firm. Despite the minefield of office politics he was forced to navigate, Steve thrived at the firm and was earning in his first year what it takes most associates three years to make. Eventually, however, business took a turn for the worst. It came to a point where every other week an associate was being let go because business was becoming rather poor, Steve said. And then my day came. Steve stated that, prior to his dismissal, he was unhappy but had not thought of leaving the firm, as the money and status the job afforded were not unattractive. Now that he was without a job, though, he had a choice. I suppose it would have been possible for me to either join another firm or put out a shingle and try on my own, Steve offered, but I didn't have the love for the law. As it turned out, Steve and two fellow comic book fans had been talking about fulfilling a long-held ambition and opening a comic book store. Steve had intended to put up the money for the store, but leave the day-to-day operations to his business partners. But now he considered a more hands-on approach. As one door closed, another was opening. And on the other side stood three geeks with a dream. For Steve, it was a dream that had its origins in the four-color pages of his youth. Chapter 5 Comic book specialty stores were not prevalent in the 1960s and 1970s, so Steve purchased his favorite titles from delis and newsstands. I just collected and kept everything, and I guess I was lucky Mom never threw anything away, Steve said. At the time, comics were considered disposable entertainment, but Steve kept his books in mint condition, not because he thought they would be worth anything in the future, but because that was simply his nature. Steve's father remarked at his son's neatness, even at an early age. After he finished playing with his toys, they had to go back in the same spot, same shelf, same position, Harry said. To this day, Steve employs a unique organizational system, which poses certain problems in the sense that only he knows where everything is. After he left his law firm, it took a paralegal six months to sort through his files. From a psychological perspective, this attention to detail borders on the extreme, Last summer, Steve took a projective personality test that asks the individual to draw a house, a tree, and a person. His results indicated obsessive qualities of the anal nature, since he attempted to first sketch and then draw, ink, and color each picture. These obsessive qualities manifest themselves at alternate realities on a daily basis. For example, in an effort to ensure that the store is never without cash, Steve keeps spare bills in not one, not two, but three separate places. A backup for the backup of the backup. Steve continued collecting through college, but law school posed a problem, as Albany did not have any comic book stores. According to Steve, This is where fate comes in. My first week in Albany, a comic book store opened. It was called Fantico, and it was amazing. The timing was perfect. Steve went on to detail a Friday routine that any comic book fan would envy. After class, I would walk to 21 Central Avenue, Albany, New York, buy my comics, and come back to the apartment, Steve said. I would put them in order from worst to best, have a Mountain Dew, turn on the radio, sit at the desk, and read comics until about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. At the height of his comic book collecting, Steve was buying everything that industry heavyweights DC and Marvel published, including obscure romance comics. When he visited a new city, he would immediately look for the nearest comic book store, However, I don't have that kind of drive anymore, Steve admitted, noting that after a while the collection became unmanageable, and he continued buying new issues of series that he no longer read, simply out of habit. 
In 2007, he shocked family and friends with the announcement that he was selling his entire comic book collection through Heritage, an online auction site. As Steve recounted, it was both the final realization that his son, Evan, does not have any interest in comics, as well as a serendipitous meeting with Heritage that precipitated the big decision. Evan doesn't want it, and the family wouldn't know what to do with it if I dropped dead, Steve said, adding that he considered both eBay and alternate realities as potential means of selling the collection. Finally, Heritage presented itself as the most attractive outlet at that year's New York Comic Convention. I could just as easily have made a right turn and walked away from them, or made a left turn and walked towards them, Steve recounted. And I said, you know what? It's time. It's just time. After making the necessary arrangements, Heritage representatives loaded approximately 135 long and short comic book boxes onto a truck and drove away with a collection as pristine as it was voluminous. Once he said he was actually going to sell everything, I think that surprised a lot of us, Evan said. I would have supported his decision either way, but I did feel like this was the end of an era for him. Steve said that the decision to sell made sense, and the fact that he sold everything, rather than try to sort out which books to keep for sentimental reasons, made the whole process easier. I only regret that it wasn't pedigreed, that they didn't call this the Steve Odo collection, because then I would have been part of comic book history, Steve lamented. Steve's fire for collecting may have since waned, but in 1992, the prospect of owning his own comic book shop was so cool. Chapter 6 When we first started the store, our password with a security company was Three Geeks and a Dream, but as time wore on, I tell people that this has become my nightmare, Steve said with a laugh. Along with fellow comic book fans Kevin Halstead and Gene Doherty, Steve opened the doors of alternate realities in 1992. Looking back, Steve described the trio as collectors first and businessmen second, a situation that nearly ran the store into the ground. The first couple of months were actually spectacular because we were sort of the new guy in town, Steve said. Eventually, however, the initially booming business screeched to a halt, and it came to a point where we were drawing almost no money, maybe $100 a piece a week. At one point, during what Steve referred to as a desperate time, he gambled the weekend's meager receipts at a Foxwoods casino to try to make enough to cover that month's rent. After playing all night, he had lost $200 and still had to open the store the next morning. In the end, he managed to keep the doors open with a little help from his father, who paid the rent when Steve could not. Following a disappointing first year, the second year of the store's history saw both an increase in business as well as the first in a series of changes in ownership. Over the years, new and familiar faces alike have bought in and sold out as dreams were born and shattered. Despite a brief return to the corporate world in the late 1990s, Steve has been the store's one constant. For his part, Steve said he prefers being a one-man show and avoiding the difficulties that come with the partnership, despite the long hours the store demands. It's 15 hours a day, Steve said. Even on my day off, it's 15 hours a day. Of course, in addition to order forms and cycle sheets, which track the sales of every comic book title on the shelves, Steve reserves a healthy portion of those 15-hour shifts for one of his guilty pleasures, the computer game Minesweeper. For the uninitiated, the sight of Steve furiously clicking away at his mouse behind the counter might give the false impression that he is conducting important business. As Harry sees it, the late nights are worth it. Every minute you put in, it's yours, he said.
Harry even overcame his initial regret over his son's decision to open the store rather than continue his law career. I was disappointed, but I can't be with him forever, Harry offered. I thought it was a waste, but then I figure it's his life, and if he enjoys it, I guess that's most important. Besides happiness, Steve can also boast a success that many once-struggling enterprises do not enjoy. Steve has rent money tucked away for the next several months, sparing him a trip to Foxwoods. And Alternate Realities was named Best Comic Book Store in Westchester Magazine in 2004, and again in Hudson Valley Magazine in 2005. Right now, I think it's smooth sailing, Harry said. Steve attributes this success, in part, to the welcoming environment the store provides. There's a reason that I think some people come here, and I think the social atmosphere is a big part of it, he said. Long before the internet provided fans with a forum in which to complain about the latest issue of Amazing Spider-Man, customers of alternate realities have been discussing their reading habits within the walls of the store. Every Saturday, a diverse group comprised of employees, customers, and friends of the store meets for dinner. For Sean McInerney, a longtime customer and employee, this sense of camaraderie is what gives alternate realities an edge over the competition. It's sort of become a cheers for everybody in the area, Sean said. As goofy as it sounds, it's a place where everyone goes when they have free time and just hangs out. It's not like Midtown Comics. It really relies on its set of customers. So much so that regular customers who have not picked up their books in a few weeks should expect a call from Steve. Steve knows his customers by name and regularly makes recommendations based on his knowledge of their reading habits, something that he believes will forever impede large bookstore chains from encroaching on his turf. I don't think the fact that Borders carries comics is a threat at all, because people working there can't tell one comic book from another, Steve explained. However, he did go on to add that the ever-increasing price of comic books and the rise of digital distribution might spell dark times ahead for the local comic book shop. Alternate realities may be cheers, but Steve is more Yoda than Sam Malone. From behind his counter, Steve unleashes a series of sayings, both wise and ridiculous, the Yodaisms. It's amazing, Steve commented. I guess living my life, I don't think about coming up with what I call Odoisms, pearls of wisdom. I guess the fact that I happen to say them a lot, and I happen to say them in the third person, makes them stand out a little bit more. These pearls of wisdom are at once philosophical, everything works out in the end, egotistical, Steve Odo is the hardest working man in Westchester, depressing, Steve Odo does not have faith in the human race, perplexing, Steve Odo does not use umbrellas, and outrageous, Steve Odo feeds himself mentally. Adding to the spectacle is a salute-like hand gesture that Steve makes to accompany one of his sayings. For the denizens of alternate realities, the Odoisms have become an institution and a near limitless source of entertainment. Some of them make a lot of sense and are worth following, Sean said. It is a little crazy when you start referring to yourself in the third person and saying that you have this manifesto you live by. But is Steve crazy? I think in some cases Steve really does believe a lot of what he says, Sean said. But I think there is a part of Steve, a small part, but a part that realizes that a lot of what he's saying is crazy and that we all look at it humorously, and I think he can too. It's always tough to tell. Still, Sean draws the line at one of the more popular Odoisms. It's easy to say Steve Odo doesn't get cold, but if you put him in an icebox, he's going to get cold. Rich offered a similar assessment of his friend's sayings. I think there's some truth and legitimacy to his hyperbole, Rich said. I also think he throws some of these out for shock value. I think now he's gotten to the point where we've given him such attention with it, he's coming up with them to cultivate more attention. And Steve has received his fair share of attention for the Odoisms, 
especially from longtime customer Tom Darby, who jokingly claimed to have witnessed Steve part the skies. We played up the Odoisms, repeating them to Steve, feeding his ego a little bit, but he knows that most of them are crazy talk, Tom said. He's a regular guy. He's not a superhuman or a robot. However, not everyone is quite as enamored with the Odoisms. I think they're excuses that Steve makes for himself to justify not going out and living life, said Matt Casey, taking aim at his refusal to run for trains. Matt continued, that's the train that's going to take you where you need to go in life. Perhaps it is only someone who has spent his life listening to these sayings that can provide some perspective. I may be one of the few people who actually understands him and knows he's not crazy, Evan said. I know he probably isn't taking himself seriously when he says things like this, but I also know he's just trying to be completely, if not brutally, honest. Of course, the question of whether Steve possesses the secrets of the universe, or merely the ramblings of a madman, assumes that the two are mutually exclusive. The debate continues. Final chapter. Never call Steve on a Wednesday! Steve growled into the telephone. A line of customers stretched to the back of the store, each waiting patiently to pay for his comics and get out of there. Wednesday is the day on which new comic books arrive each week, and for a retailer, it can be incredibly chaotic. For Steve, every Wednesday brings a fresh challenge to break down the shipment of new books and merchandise and be ready to open by 1 o'clock, when a stampede of hardcore fans burst through the door to grab the latest issue of their favorite comics. Over the years, Steve has trained his customers to refrain from calling him on Wednesday, but those poor souls who forgot or simply did not know better found themselves on the receiving end of a verbal thrashing. Steve has said that he is approaching burnout at alternate realities and does not see himself doing this for the rest of his life. Inspired by the Discovery Channel reality series Deadliest Catch, he often talks of selling the store and becoming an Alaskan crab fisherman. Those closest to Steve question the likelihood of such a move, in much the same way as they question the sincerity of his odoisms. But the question remains whether or not alternate realities is a part of his future. If he were not the owner of this store, he would be a great salesman, Rich posited. He's very extroverted. He has no hesitation starting up conversations with people. Rich is less optimistic about Steve's chances in Alaska. That might be a dream, and he might look at the romantic notion of it, but I don't see him getting up at 4.30 in the morning and taking a wooden tugboat out into the middle of the ocean, Rich continued. You look at what those guys go through in the perfect storm. That's a rough life. You see what he does on a Wednesday morning. I think there's a distance. Sean also doubts Steve's willingness to leave alternate realities. I think ultimately, if he didn't have it, he'd be really bored, he said. Meanwhile, Steve has his own ideas. The lease for the store ends in four and a half years, he said. Ideally, I win the lottery, marry somebody very rich, or find some sucker to buy the store. But I really kind of wonder whether I want to continue on after four and a half years. Not that I really will buy the crab boat and become a crab fisherman in Alaska. But it's a lot of long hours. In the end, was it all worth it? If I hadn't opened the store, then I would never have had both the good and the bad experiences, Steve said. It all happens for a reason. If I had stayed with the practice of the law, I'd just be a lawyer working 70 hours a week downtown and then commuting back and forth. Who knows? Maybe I'd still be married, maybe not. It's different paths. We'll never know. One thing that Steve does know is what the store means to him, and it is far from a romantic notion. The fact that the store does well is a source of some personal pride, but I know it's not the be-all and end-all, he said. If it blew up, I wouldn't shed a tear. I can't see staying here for another 20 years. For now, though, it's where he needs to be. I look at the store, and as hard as it is, 
and as frustrating as it is sometimes, it's towards a path, Steve said, but I don't know where I'm going. Not that he's complaining. Life is supposed to be hard. If it were easy, what's the point? Steve asked. You always want to struggle. You want to make yourself a little better than you were the day before. I have known Steve for 10 years, first as a customer and later as his employee, but most of all, I'm proud to say I know him as a friend. What does the future hold for Steve? The possibilities are endless. In one alternate future, he is a crab fisherman appearing in the eighth season of Deadliest Catch, while in another, laser eye surgery has allowed him to finally get that FBI badge. And of course, in yet another potential future, he still toils away at alternate realities, teaching his Odoisms to a new generation. Only one thing is for certain. If someone were to say that Steve should decide his future now, before he runs out of time, that person would be mistaken. Steve Odo does not run. Well, maybe once, but that's a story for another time. The end. So thank you again for listening. Uh, you know, it's funny, I remember my professor at the time, uh, she wrote in her comments that it would be a real shame if I went to law school and that I should be a journalist instead. And it's just interesting because I'm not a journalist in the sense that she was probably envisioning it, but in the form of the documentaries and the podcasts, I, I am a journalist. Uh, so everything kind of worked out the way that it needed to. And like Steve would say, you know, it's different paths and we'll never know, but I'm extremely grateful for, uh, where I've ended up and it's a pleasure as always to host the show. Thank you for listening. Remember that in two weeks, we're going to kick off a series of three specials tying into the My Comic Shop Country documentary. So make sure you're back here in two weeks for the start of the Country Companions. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy. And of course, don't be a flat squirrel.